When that monster in the woods begins to eat your cows, you know it means business. It might just be time to cut your losses and move into town or out into the prairie. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails to hear me talk about my workout routine. I started mid-October, so here's to hoping I can keep it up. Today I've got some very disturbing stories for you, featuring terrifying things that happened in Glacier National Park and elsewhere in Montana. So if you're a Montanian, or Montana Knight, hmm, you'll probably enjoy this. Remember to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them soon, and check out eeriecast.com for more terrifying podcasts. Now, let's begin. It Ate Our Cows from Aberdeen I live on a small farm next to Glacier National Park. It's nothing expansive, just a little old place my grandparents built that my family continues to live on. We raise chickens here, some pigs too, and we used to have cows. That brings me to my strange story. There's a reason we don't have cows anymore. Something killed them. Back at the start of 2008, we had three cows named Jess, Sheila, and Marnie. We had planned to use them for milk, but they ended up mostly being big old pets that kept the grass short and clear of weeds. As spring started up that year, something strange began to happen. Back then, every night, I had to go outside right after dinner to make sure the cows were locked up in the barn. There are coyotes out here, and they've taken a chicken or two, and we didn't want to give them a chance at nipping at the cow's legs and causing permanent damage. I headed outside that night, beginning to pull Marnie inside the barn, then Jess. As I went out to retrieve Sheila, I heard this bizarre rumbling moan from the tree line, which set maybe 50 yards from the barn. I couldn't tell how deep in the woods the moan had come, but it didn't sound right. It wasn't like the scream or moan of a person or any animal I'd ever heard. It sounded so alien to me. It gave me goosebumps and immediately I wanted to go back inside. But I knew my parents would be mad if I went inside without fetching Sheila first. I sighed, gritted my teeth, and walked towards the old girl. She was standing at the edge of the fence, maybe ten yards from the tree line, which was on the other side of that fence. The fact I had to walk closer to that forest to go get her really spooked me. The closer I walked to it, the more creeped out I got. I jogged over, just trying to get this over with. When I got to Sheila, I clicked the rope leash to her collar and tugged on her to get her to follow me. But she wouldn't budge. What's wrong with you? I said, and I tugged again. Still wouldn't budge. But she did let out a grunt. I'd never heard her do that before. I walked over and looked around her to make sure she hadn't hurt herself. When I checked her front legs, I nearly screamed. There was something wrapped around her leg. It shimmered in the moonlight as if it was covered in some thick slime, and it pulsated every other second. It was curled all the way up her leg, nearly to her ribs. I remember thinking, what in the world is that? My first thought was some kind of worm, snake, or leech had latched itself onto Sheila. First things first, I grabbed a stick to poke at it. 
I was not about to touch that thing with my bare finger. The moment I poked it, something crazy happened. In the blink of an eye, the thing slithered off of Sheila's leg and rapidly retracted in the direction of the forest. And I mean it when I say retracted. The thing was so long that this was only one end of it, and the other end seemed to still be in the nearby woods. I watched it pull away, pushing the grass to the side as it did, until this end of it disappeared into the tree line. Do snakes and worms and leeches slither backwards when running away? Surely not. This was something else, and I had no clue what that something else even was. I quickly pulled on Sheila, who now followed my lead with a bit of a limp. As we got closer to the light on the barn, I took a look at her leg. The fur and skin along her leg was all shredded up exactly where that creature had been latched onto her. I tied her to a post in the light and ran inside, fetching my mom and dad. My little brother came along too, morbidly curious as to what was wrong with the cow. I pointed at Sheila's leg and explained, she was standing at the edge of the fence out there by the woods. I tried to bring her to the barn, but this long, worm-looking thing was wrapped on her leg. My dad was bewildered. My story sounded crazy, but the wound was there to prove it. A worm, huh? That big, that could do that to a cow. Not sure about that. I think maybe the poor girl got caught in some wire or bramble. Got twisted on her leg. Dad, it was a living thing. I poked it with a stick and it yanked itself clean off. He raised up and scratched his head. Well, I trust you saw something on that poor thing. Never seen anything like it, to be honest. We bandaged up her leg and left her cozy in the barn, making sure to lock it up nice. Come morning before school, I ran outside to let the cows out as was also my responsibility. I was worried about Sheila all night, and I wanted to see if she was doing any better. The moment I opened the front door and looked out at the barn, my heart sank. The barn doors were wide open. That couldn't be right. My dad was with me when we locked it up the night before. We couldn't have both been that absent-minded. I ran over to the barn doors and checked the locks. Sure enough, the chain was just dangling from the handle of the barn door on one side, and the padlock was on the ground, now open. I picked up the padlock. The moment I touched it, I was met with a slimy substance. Ew, I said. The padlock was busted. I couldn't get it to click back down. If I had to guess, it looked like someone had managed to literally yank the padlock open. But why was it so slimy? It wasn't long before I noticed the grass laid back in a wide trail, leading up to the same edge of fence Sheila had been standing at the night before. No way, I said under my breath. I began to follow the trail before catching myself mid-step. First, I needed to check on Sheila. I turned on the lights inside the barn. Jess and Marnie were fine, but Sheila was gone. A trail of hay led up to the door as if she'd been dragged away, but there was no blood on the ground. Did a person do this? I followed the trail in the grass then, all the way up to the edge of the fence. I gasped when I saw it. The wooden fence had been broken in one spot, making room enough for something as big as Sheila to fit through. 
but near one of the posts was a leg. A cow's leg with a smooth curling wound around it from top to bottom. I looked past the fence. The grass was laid back all the way to the woods. I ran to get my dad. I showed him what I'd found, and I heard him curse under his breath when he saw Sheila's leg near the fence. I was crying quietly then, knowing that we probably would not find Sheila alive. Dad sent me off to school in a hurry that day, telling me not to worry about it. As my mom, brother, and I drove away to school, I saw him head into the woods with a rifle and a flashlight. That day at school was slow and worrisome. I couldn't stop thinking about Sheila and my dad. I was beginning to think that that dang slimy thing had come back and dragged Sheila out of the barn. I mean, what else could explain that slimy lock? I just wanted to get home. That afternoon back at home, I found my dad at the kitchen table drinking a coffee. It was never a good sign to see my dad drinking an afternoon coffee. He always kept his coffee to the early morning to keep him awake. If he was drinking it late, it meant he wanted to be wide awake for some time, and it was already 4pm. Did you find her? I asked. Yep, I'll tell you, but don't tell your brother. Mom already knows. I nodded. She's dead, hun. Found her about half a mile into those woods. She got dragged pretty far by something before it ate up nearly half of her. I was sad, but I sort of knew that the news wouldn't be good. That's probably why my next question was an odd one. Was there some slimy stuff on her? He looked surprised at first, then he sighed. Sure was. I don't know what it was that got her, and it's best you don't think about it either. I ain't gonna let nothing get you or your brother or your mama. He tried to reassure me, but I wasn't feeling any better about the situation. In the matter of two weeks after that, Jess and Marnie would both be dragged away from the fields and into those very same woods the exact same way. Each of them partially eaten when we found them. I was very upset about this, and we ended up putting a lot of time and energy into keeping the pigs and chickens we had safe too. But nothing ever came for them. Dad thinks whatever was out there moved on after eating the cows, but he was never too keen on getting more cows in case he was wrong. That was a long time ago, a very odd and very unsettling memory for me to dig up. I wish I knew what it was. I think that's the worst part, to have seen something that strange, that dangerous, and to never have confirmation of what it was, and yet I still live here. Seeing something eat my cows, I had nightmares for a while that my family might be next. I still have those nightmares on occasion. Maybe it's still out there somewhere. Maybe there's more of whatever it is. I've always thought that the slimy worm thing was just an appendage of a much larger creature. I guess I should be happy I never saw the rest of it. I hit the dog man from O Montana. I was never a firm believer in the paranormal, but I've always loved listening to people's strange encounters. 
After this, I can no longer doubt my belief in things that can't be explained. This is my bone-chilling experience. This story happened in 2020 during the pandemic. As everyone knows, the world shut down and everyone and everything went on lockdown. As for me, I got a lot of time to practice what I love, and that is baseball. I live in Montana around Glacier National Park. I was 17 at the time, and to put it into perspective, I'm 6 foot 4 and have a good build, but I'm a gentle giant, and I get paranoid rather easily. I know, right? Big guy that gets scared. That's me. Now, I have a huge backyard and 78 acres of dense forest. In those acres, there's a shooting range, some ATV trails, and a small creek. I'm not a stranger to being outside and exploring the woods. One day, while at around four-ish, I was out riding my ATV on one of the trails we'd made. Suddenly, I saw something dart from the corner of my eye as I turned around a bend. I slowed my ATV down, and I looked in the direction that I saw the movement. I then noticed the only sound I heard was my ATV. So, me being a curious fellow, I turned off my ATV and listened. It was dead silent out there. I swear, even the forest itself was on mute. That's when I heard it. Footsteps crunching leaves and sticks. These were slow and heavy footsteps. I could tell it was deliberately trying to be quiet. Then, no later than five seconds after I turned off the ATV, the footsteps stopped. Growing up outdoors and in the woods, when it goes dead silent like that, when not even the bugs are heard, that means something dangerous is on the prowl. My mind began to race as I realized there was a predator around here somewhere and that I needed to leave. After all, there are bears in my area and we've seen plenty of them on our property. I was not in the mood at the time to deal with one. Right as I was about to turn the key to my ATV and start it up, I heard a singular tongue click sound. As if whatever it was, was trying to get my attention. Heck no, I muttered as I turned the key and sped away from there as fast as the ATV could go. But sadly, that was only the beginning of my experience. I sped home and ran straight inside, telling my mom who was cooking dinner at the time. She paused and looked at me with the most confused look on her face. I knew she didn't believe me, but I asked what it could have been. There was no way a bear made that tongue-clicking sound and walked on what sounded like two feet. My mom brushed it off, saying maybe it was just my imagination, or maybe it was an exhaust pop from the ATV. Yeah, I guess, maybe, I said even though I knew that was not an exhaust pop. A couple of days later, I stopped thinking about the entire thing. A few weeks went by without any problems until one day, while I was outside with my German shepherd, Rusty, playing some baseball with him around dusk, I hit a baseball into the woods and he went to fetch it to bring it back to me. However, he stopped dead in his tracks and began to stare into the woods. I saw his ears starting to twitch. I was confused at this sudden behavior, so I called his name about four times, but he didn't budge. 
he stood there, still, staring at something in the forest. Then here's where it gets crazy. He suddenly backed up, real slow, and starts to growl, baring his teeth and snarling and barking and just going straight up berserk. He's a family dog that has been with us for many years, and not once has he ever acted like this. My mind was in a panic, because I'm like, oh crap, he just teed off something, possibly a bear. I start to run over to him, making really loud noises to see if I could scare off this bear, or whatever it was. That's when it jumps out at Rusty. I must have been 30 feet from Rusty at this point, and I was dumbfounded, horrified. The creature that jumped out was like another German Shepherd, but twice his size. It had dark brown fur, it had the head of a German Shepherd, but its eyes were bloodshot and they were glaring at me. Its legs were all bent backward. It had human hands with claws that looked like daggers. It stood about six feet tall, and it seemed extremely skinny, as if it was malnourished. Instantly, I knew from the stories I had heard that this was a dogman or werewolf. It completely turned its attention from Rusty to me and started to growl, slowly creeping towards me. My heart hit rock bottom. My whole body just went numb. My instincts screamed at me to run, and I suddenly had the biggest adrenaline boost ever. But I was not about to let my dog get absolutely shredded to pieces. I've heard about the damage they can do to deer and animals. It charged at me then, snarling and covering 15 feet in what seemed to be only two steps. This beast was filled with such rage and hatred. Desperate and in a panic, I swung the metal bat I still had in my hand as hard as I possibly could. It connected with the thing's face. When I hit that dogman or werewolf thing, I knew I'd racked up something in its head. I heard a loud clink as it staggered backward and almost fell completely over. Then Rusty went for it, biting at its arm as it let out a small howl. With a quick and powerful smack, Rusty was sent flying several feet in the opposite direction. My heart pounded, seeing Rusty on the ground. I felt scared, but also angry now. I swung the bat again, connecting once more, but leaving a noticeable dent in the bat. I swung again, and this time I swear I dislocated the thing's jaw. It tried to snarl at me again, but this time a weird sound came out of its mouth. The best way I can describe it was a drunk growl. It even seemed surprised that it sounded different. It paused and had a humanoid look of confusion on its face as it shook its head, realizing the damage. Then its bloodshot eyes stared right into my soul and I saw the rage only build up more inside of it. I knew my metal bat would not be a match for it anymore. I raised it up again to swing, but thank the heavens above there was a gunshot the beast was hit by a 30 caliber round from my dad's custom hunting rifle. I snapped my head back toward the house to see my mother with the rifle in her hands, aiming another round as she screamed to get back. She fired again, hitting the creature in its leg. It howled a painful, forced howl as it turned around and ran back into the forest. I sprinted over to Rusty picking up the huge dog and running back to the house with my mother scanning the tree line. 
As she did, she backed up into the house with me. We got inside and locked all the doors and windows. She runs up to me, hugging and kissing my face, praising the Lord I was okay. She admitted she saw the whole thing, then ran and grabbed my dad's rifle out of the gun safe. She then ran outside, just in time to shoot it. She turned to Rusty and told me to examine him while she kept watching the tree line. She had the gun at the ready. Rusty had no major injuries, thank goodness. There was a cut on his shoulder and that was about it. We called the police and told them about everything that happened. I broke down, letting all my emotions flow freely, and to our surprise, they explained they'd been getting calls about this weird dog that had been running around town lately. We called my dad and explained the whole thing. He ended up leaving work early to come home. To be safe, we stayed at a relative's place for a while, and we ended up selling that house, which was honestly quite sad, but maybe it was the right thing to do. Due to the experience, we moved closer to town. I'm now positive that things exist that we don't fully understand, so everyone listening, please be careful if you live next to the woods. There are things in there that are not bears, and they will not hesitate to end you. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Tree People from EMFH About a year ago, in Great Falls, Montana, I was living in a camper with my boyfriend at the time, Chris, and my friend, T. One late night, it was freezing cold in the middle of winter. None of us could sleep, and all our phones were dead. The camper had no power, so Chris and I decided we were going to go to the bank, just right down the street from where the RV was parked, because they had some posts with outlets in them. When we got there, we plugged in our phones. As my phone was charging, we heard a really weird noise. I began looking around. There was this tree nearby that was about three feet away from us. Standing in the middle of this tree was a woman. She was motionless and just staring at me. I freaked out, turning and whispering to Chris. Do you see that woman? 
He looked around for a moment, then replied, What woman? I don't see anyone. I froze for a second, then looked back at the tree. That woman was still there. Trying to take my eyes off of her, I looked up, and to my surprise, I saw two branches. The left side had six babies, and the right side had six kids. I started to look around more, and I saw 16 more of these things, all in the distance, just staring at me from the trees. I looked over at a bench under a tree at the entrance of the bank, and I saw an elderly couple. I could tell they were the same kind of people. Once I saw them, I began hearing voices, but they were in different languages. I hurried to my phone and turned it on. Using Google Translate, I repeated what was said. It seemed to be random things, or perhaps they were telling me a story. After looking up for my Google Translate, I looked around and they had all disappeared. I told Chris that we need to leave. As we were grabbing our things, getting ready to head back, I heard the talking again. I tried putting it in Google Translate as well. Google Translate came back with, Scene 2. I looked up again, seeing the old people and the woman. I began to yell back, You're not real. You're just in my head. Go away. The moment I said that, I saw the woman's mouth curl into a smile, showing the whitest teeth I'd ever seen. I told Chris to hurry. We grabbed everything, all while that thing just smiled at me. I was not sticking around. The two of us began running off, and I heard them say something else. My phone didn't have service, so I had to wait to get back to Wi-Fi to put it on my phone. I kept repeating what I'd heard under my breath so I wouldn't forget it. As soon as I was back, I put it into Google Translate. It said, run, when the woman smiles, you're in danger. I was freaked out, but tried to stop thinking about it. As the night went on, I kept having this strange feeling like someone was watching me. It seemed to be coming from the window. I looked through it. I saw that old couple on the bench across the street. They'd followed me back. I began to cry, but after a while I calmed down. I looked outside again, and they'd disappeared. I never saw them again. To this day I won't go back to that bank at night. That was the weirdest and creepiest thing I've ever experienced. Warning. The following story contains depictions of abuse. I do not fear the woman in white. From Carrie Lynn. My story takes place about nine years ago. During this time, I was backpacking with my ex, who is also my son's father. We had traveled around a lot to see new places. We got farther from home, and he started being a lot different. He was very verbally and physically abusive. He drank excessively and would get very violent. I later found out he was also doing some hard drugs. In fall of 2012, I was three months pregnant with my first daughter. Long story short, my ex got in a drunken rage because I wasn't feeling good and I didn't want to be intimate. He lost it, screaming at me, and he smacked me in the face. His mother called, who drove a taxi, asking him if he wanted to go ride a fare with her. 
She was uncomfortable taking men to the airport late at night. She herself had had a close call in the past with a passenger, so she would sometimes call him, asking him if he would like to ride with her. He decided to go ride with his mom and she bought him more beer. After he left, I decided that was my chance to get away. I planned on sneaking as far back as I could into the woods, setting up my own little camp area until morning when I could get on the earliest bus and get away. However, I woke up in the middle of the night. He had found me. I woke up to him kicking me everywhere. Needless to say, he had killed my daughter. I was in such terrible pain when he was done. He threatened to kill me if I ever tried to leave him again. It was just a couple of days after that incident that I ended up in the hospital having a miscarriage. After people in town that we knew found out what happened, a lot of them were mad at him and wanted to hurt him. He told me we were leaving, and if I didn't go, he was going to kill me. By this point, I didn't doubt that he would. That day, we packed up everything and headed out to the freeway. We got a ride within an hour, and by nightfall, we were entering Missoula, Montana. The man that had given us a ride was very nice. He stopped once we got to town and bought us all dinner at a little restaurant. Then he went to a motel where he was going to stay for the night and bought us a room for the night. I really liked the town. I thought it was amazing and wanted to stay here a while. At some point, we ended up finding a Walmart. We just wandered around for a while about the town and soon noticed there was a bridge that goes out of town. We walked there and explored around a little bit. We found a way next to the bridge where you can go down to this cool island. It was about a quarter mile in size and beautiful with the river running all along around it. I was immediately drawn to the spot. We went down and explored a bit and realized that, despite it being public land, we saw a decent amount of homeless people living along the streets and alleyways. Yet this pristine island was completely empty of anyone living there. We quickly set up camp in a beautiful spot along the river. Exploring some more, we did find one elderly couple that lived way up on the other side of the island. They said they'd been living there in that same area for seven years. They rarely saw any other people stay down here. One spring night, we went to bed early, around 6.30 or 7. It was so windy and rainy outside. We didn't really want to go out. For some reason, I ended up waking up around 5.30 a.m. It was still mostly dark out. I'm not quite sure why I woke up. I didn't have to go to the bathroom or anything. However, I did have this strange urge to go outside. Upon unzipping the tent and looking out, I realized the water had risen about 15 feet or so throughout the night due to the heavy rainfall. There was a flash flood. The Clark Fork River, which was normally large, was massive now. The edge of the water was only about two inches in front of our tent. Had that river reached our tent, it could have easily washed away our whole campsite and us with it. The river was now as large as two football fields, and the waters were raging. We quickly grabbed all our things. We then went deeper into the island, running towards the middle of it, dropping all our things where we could. We ran back and forth getting the rest of the stuff before everything was washed away. At this point, we realized it was a bad idea to be along the river during flood season. We now had to set up our camp at a place in the middle of the island where we thought the river would not be able to reach. 
There just happened to be a little spot kind of back in a little patch of trees, which was perfect as it seemed it could give us a lot of cover from the rain and heat during these summer months. For people not familiar with the weather in Montana, it is harsh. It can get to triple digits during summer, and I've seen it personally get 30 below during winter. So any sort of shelter we can find or shade is helpful. This spot looked as if it had been perfectly cleaned out. It was a big sandy square right in the middle of a little patch of trees. It looked as if it had been raked down, perfectly soft and smooth, just about 12 feet by 10 feet. Of course, right off, I figured someone must have set it up like that on purpose. Maybe someone had camped there before, but I brushed off the idea. We started setting up our camp, and as I was beginning to put the tent up, he was bringing the things over to the camp from where we had set them down. We both thought that this was the perfect score, but upon him stepping into the camp, he said he felt very uneasy. He said that he was getting really aggravated for no reason and that he wanted to hurt me. Well, he did things like that often when he was drunk, but this was a little different. It was early in the morning and he hadn't been drinking yet. I could see fear in his eyes too. I could tell he was afraid of something, but there was nothing here to be afraid of. I did find this a bit strange, but he was a temperamental person. He would fly off the handle into a full rage over the tiniest thing. So at the time, I didn't really take him seriously. I thought he was just pulling one of his stunts again. At some point, he was getting aggressive and violent. I got scared, so I walked over to the other side of the island to the elderly couple's camp, who we now were friends with. I sat with them for about an hour. We ate some food and had some sodas, and we talked until he came walking up and was angry. He asked why I left and where I was all this time. I told him that he was scaring me, so I came over to hang out with John and Sandy for a while, so he could cool down. He said that he didn't remember a thing. At some point, he had finished setting up the tent, and he went in and went to sleep, but when he woke up, he could not find me because I was already gone before he ever went to sleep. In fact, I remember him watching me leave. Apparently, he never remembered being up at all that morning. He would later tell me on a few separate occasions that he did not like that spot anymore. He would say that sometimes when he walks into the area, he would feel really scared and it would make him aggressive. He said if he walked back away, it would just go away. But when he got closer to the spot, it would get worse again. Honestly, I never felt this way. I loved that spot. I thought it was perfect. I never felt afraid there of anything other than him. But I do admit at times I did have an eerie feeling, as if I wasn't alone when I knew I should be. But I never got that same scared, fearful feeling that he always would say he would feel. The feeling to me was just unease, that feeling of being watched. Sometimes I might feel a wave of sadness or a wave of calmness, some sort of an emotion that I didn't really know where it was coming from, and it would be quite strong. Not long after moving onto the island, I got pregnant again and we stayed down there for most of my pregnancy. During summer, we moved to a different spot, down towards the end of the island, at a place that was near the river, but far enough away we thought we'd be safe. There were quite a few times when he or I would feel that feeling of not being alone or being watched. Even after we moved to that other spot, he thought that it would go away. At that point, he was afraid of that spot, 
He didn't like going over there at all, even when he was gathering firewood. One night after being in this camp for a couple of weeks, he was in one of his moods. He was angry because I wouldn't walk to go get him beer. It was late August, still close to 95 degrees even at 7pm. I didn't want to go especially since I didn't even drink beer as I was pregnant. He got really mad. He began getting very mean, saying a lot of nasty things. He smacked me in the face, then went to the tent and eventually passed out. I stayed up a while. I sat out by the fire, drinking coffee and reading a book with my headlamp. This is something I did often. However, after about half an hour, I began to feel as if I wasn't alone. At that point, I looked up from my book and I began paying attention to my surroundings. I realized it was dead quiet. I sat there for a minute, looking around. I didn't see or hear anything strange. I didn't feel any sort of menacing feeling, more like a feeling of comfort and sadness mixed together with just the overwhelming feeling that you're being watched and not being alone. This made me feel uneasy. I went into the tent and lay down. I continued to read my book inside the tent for about half an hour until he woke up. He said that I woke him up even though I'd been lying perfectly still, not making any noise, and he once again got really angry. At this point, he began verbally abusing me again, calling me worthless. He said that I'm not good for anything, and he might as well just kill me. He went outside to use the bathroom. When he was out of the tent, I once again noticed how quiet it was. I began to get that feeling of calmness again, along with a really creepy sensation that someone was very, very close to me. Then I heard him stumbling around out there, beginning to complain. He grabbed a beer, then he sat down outside. I didn't say anything to him. After about two minutes of him being out there, he started to tell me that he had that feeling again, like someone was watching him, and he was starting to get scared. Him getting scared is dangerous, because when he's afraid, he gets very violent and aggressive. He jumped straight back in the tent, and he got a machete that he had kept in the tent, just because we didn't want anyone else getting a hold of it outside while we were sleeping. A friend of ours had a man grab a crowbar from in his camp and beat him with it one night. So any sort of weapons we had, we started keeping inside of our tent. He told me he knew someone was out there, but he couldn't see who. I told him he was drunk and to go to sleep, that there was nothing out there to be afraid of. After a while of sitting there and drinking another beer, he started to get very angry with me. While I wasn't even doing anything, just trying to go to sleep, that bothered him. He wanted to know why whatever was out there scared him, but not me. He said that he knew there was something there, and so did I, that we could both feel it, but he was angry that I did not get the same scary sensation that he did. That's when he started to call me a witch. In his drunk and drug-induced mind, Apparently, he thought that this was something I was doing, with magic, I guess. I told him to listen to himself, that he sounded insane, yet the more I tried to make him realize that what he was saying was completely ridiculous, the angrier he became. It got worse and worse as time went on that night. He kept telling me to make it stop. He threatened me, but the more he threatened me, the more he hurt me, he was starting to feel more afraid, 
I could see it in his eyes that he was just completely scared. I remember him saying that it was some voodoo crap, that I was trying to do something to mess with his head, even though I'd never done things like that. After a few more hours, it's starting to be early morning, about 4.30, and he's still just going off. He told me to, quote-unquote, get off my lazy butt and go get him some beer. I told him to go screw himself. Then he punched me in the face, and suddenly he doubled over and fell backwards. He was hysterical. He demanded to know how the heck I did that, once again calling me a witch. I asked what he was talking about. He said something just hit him in the stomach so hard it had knocked him over, knocking the wind out of him and almost making him puke. Again, I told him he was sounding crazy. I couldn't have hit him. I was holding my face the whole time after he punched me. He called me a crazy, evil, female dog, and he scrambled out of the campsite and into town, saying he was going to get beer, and he just ran off. About an hour later, I was lying there. I felt that eerie feeling again. I had my face right by the side of the tent. I couldn't help but feel that there was something right on the other side with me. Once more, I felt uneasy but calm. I wasn't exactly scared, just worried, because I wasn't sure if whatever had happened to him would happen to me. I didn't want it to hurt me too. I didn't know what it was. A couple of minutes, I just lay there, with my blanket over my head, trying to go to sleep. Eventually, I heard him from a distance. I could hear him still cursing me as he walked back down the trail. I lay there for what seemed like forever, before I fell asleep again, awaiting whatever wrath might befall me when he got back. But he never came back that night. I woke up around 9am and he wasn't there. As I went walking over to our friend's camp, I found him lying in the bushes. He was sleeping. I figured he got drunk and just passed out on the ground. He said he didn't remember a thing or know why he was even out there. I reminded him that he went to get beer earlier and never came back. As that day went on, he started to remember things. For the next couple of months after that, he wasn't as aggressive or violent. He wasn't the nicest, but you could tell he tried to control his anger a lot more. He seemed afraid of me. He still thought that somehow, whatever that was that hurt him, I had conjured it up or something like that. One day, he had been getting violent and aggressive again for about a week straight. It was late fall at that point and getting really cold. I was about six or seven months into my pregnancy by then, and I was starting to get really tired more often. He was asking me to go get him beer, and I told him I didn't want to, so he started getting angry again. After about half an hour of listening to him, I went into the tent and took a nap. I came out of the tent around four and started to make myself a cup of coffee to warm up before beginning to cook dinner. He had calmed down some at that point, so he decided to do some fishing, then gather some firewood. While I was making my cup of coffee, he walked up. When he saw me, his face drained of all color. He looked confused and scared. He asked how I got over here so fast, and how did I change my clothes so quickly? I told him that I never went anywhere or changed, 
I just got up and made some coffee. But he looked terrified when I explained this. That's when he said, but I just saw you standing over there. You were in a white dress. He pointed to the spot, but I didn't see anything weird over there. He insisted that he saw me way over there and that he saw me walking over by his favorite fishing spot. But I told him it couldn't be me. We both went looking around together, but we couldn't find anyone, even though the only way to get off of that end of the island is to go right through our camp. This did freak me out a bit, even though I did have a white dress so I could see why he might have thought it was me. But it wasn't me, so who was it? And where did she go? A couple of weeks later, we were at the soup kitchen, which is not something we did often, we tried to stick to ourselves. We ate our dinner and we were talking to some other people, some locals and travelers like us. There was another couple, maybe in their 40s. We were talking to them in this group. They lived in that city their whole lives, apparently. We were all just chatting it up and at some point the topic came up of where we were all camping at. I told them we were in a small wooded area by the Walmart. I didn't want to give away my specific location to people that I didn't really know. This couple stopped eating immediately and they both stared at us when I said that. The woman asked, You don't live on the island, do you? I confessed that I did. She replied, You need to get out of there. Fast. She explained that we probably already noticed that no one else goes out there. I admitted that I did notice that, but it was one of the reasons I liked it. I'm a bit of an introvert. I like to have my personal space. She then went on to tell me how a lot of locals thought that the island was haunted. She said they just called it the island, and even the homeless folks avoided going down there, even if it meant they would sleep on the street corner instead of being able to have a nice campsite. A few other people had joined in on the conversation by then. I started to learn a lot of things that I didn't know from the locals. This couple and another man went on to tell us that there have been people killed down there, a man that had jumped from the bridge and committed suicide as well. There was also a vicious murder suicide. They were telling us that they remember this happening. They lived in the town at the time. A couple apparently lived down there, camping sort of like we were doing. The man was a very bad alcoholic and would get violent. One night, he brutally murdered his girlfriend before killing himself. This murder supposedly happened right around that same area where we camped in the middle of the summer, the same place that he said that he was afraid of. They went on to tell us how no one will go down there because it's haunted and people have seen and heard and felt things down there. They called us crazy for staying down there. By then we'd been living there for quite a while and it was winter. We're not going to pack up and go try to find a new spot at the very last minute. Over the next few weeks, maybe a month, we were really preoccupied trying to get ready for winter. It was starting to get below zero there. We were trying to find a way to make our tent to where we could stay in it without freezing. Preoccupied and time going on, we didn't really think about the things that we were told during dinner that night. We tried to put that information to the back of our minds, not thinking about it. One night he had a lot to drink. I wasn't feeling good, so he got very angry over the fact that I wanted to go to sleep and he wanted to mess around. 
He got upset and was cussing me out, calling me names, telling me that I'm worthless. The next thing I know, he raises his hand and he starts coming towards me and I get that feeling again. This time it feels stronger than it ever was. I felt someone so close to me, it seemed that if I turned my head the slightest bit, I would be face to face with whoever it was. Then, I heard the faintest whisper, a woman's voice saying, It's going to be okay. He took a couple more steps, then he got a scared look on his face, and he said, Screw this, and he just took off. As he left, I heard him cussing at me, calling me a witch and all that crazy stuff again. I stood there for a moment, afraid to even turn around. When I did turn, I didn't see anyone. There was nothing there. At some point, he ended up once again drinking too much. He passed out along the trail, not remembering much of anything. It was snowy and getting dark at that point, so I was afraid he would freeze to death. So as much as I didn't want to, I woke him up, but he started to swing at me. He couldn't make it more than a couple of feet. I had to keep picking him back up because he was so drunk he was falling around. Every time I tried to help him, he started to swing at me, telling me I'm an evil witch. It took me a good two hours to get him maybe a hundred yards. He would make it two feet and I would have to pick him back up, total dead weight. He was just passing out face down in the snow and he would start cussing at me throwing punches at me every time I'd wake him up. I wanted to just give up and leave him there to freeze after everything he'd done to me, but I couldn't bring myself to have that on my conscience. About an hour into this ordeal, I remember being so cold and tired and just feeling like this was an impossible task. I was eight months pregnant at that point, and all that lifting and strain was starting to put a toll on me. Then... I heard her a second time. She whispered, Leave him and you'll be safe forever. He did this to himself. This is what he deserves. Save yourself before it's too late. Chills ran throughout my whole body. Even though I thought it was so cold, I couldn't get colder. All the hair on my body stood up and I looked around but I never saw anyone there, no woman whispering to me. At some point, I did manage to get him up into the tent, and he passed straight back out and didn't give me any more issues that night. At that point, I knew it was her. I'd never seen her. I'd heard her twice at this point, and I could feel her presence. I knew it was the same entity who was close, the same one bringing me a feeling of calmness, almost like she was there to keep me safe. About two weeks after this incident, he once again got angry. It was 26 below zero outside. I was very close to going into labor. I did not want to walk to the store to get him beer again, and he started to cuss me out, threatening me. This led to a huge argument. After about an hour, I gave up, and I decided I would go so that I didn't have to deal with it anymore. When I came back, it was dark. It was a blizzard. When I saw the tent, I was so excited to get back in and get warmed up. I remember yelling to him, saying I'm back. At night, it's always good to let someone know you're there when you walk up on them, especially with him. 
as he gets scared and gets violent right after. After calling out to him, I heard her voice for the last time. She said to me, Run, run, run. The voice was so quiet through the wind and the blizzard, I could barely hear it. That run, run, run in my ear. I knew something must be wrong. I should have listened to her. I kept walking, and as I got closer to the tent, he woke up, and he came outside with his machete. He was in a complete rage. He jumped out of the tent and started to come towards me. He was screaming, calling me all sorts of names, asking me where I've been, demanding to know what I was doing, telling me that I was cheating on him, even more crazy nonsense. He comes walking towards me with that machete. I told him that I just went to get his beer like he asked. He said he never sent me to get beer. He said that I was lying to him. At that point I realized there was no reasoning with him. He began getting closer to me. I was just glad that he was intoxicated already, so he was at least stumbling about. That gave me a chance to run. He was having a hard time catching up to me, so he started picking up rocks and throwing them at me while he was still walking towards me. Eventually, he did hit me in the back with a rock about the size of a baseball, and I fell on the ground. I was in so much pain, yet I still got up, and I managed to scramble a bit further, but I fell back down when I tripped on a stick. I tried to get back up again when another rock hit me, and in that moment, I knew I was going to die. I was sure of it then. There on the ground in the freezing snow, I watched him walk towards me with his machete. He was saying that he was going to kill me, that he was going to throw me in the river. And if they do catch me, he still won't get caught. He said he knew I was going to leave him, and he said if he can't have me, then no one can. He said he wasn't about to pay child support for the rest of his life. I can still remember lying there. I remember talking to my son inside of me. I remember telling him that I'm sorry. I wish I could save him, save both of us, but I failed. As he got closer, he was within five feet of me now. He stopped dead in his tracks, and once again he stood there just looking completely terrified. I knew all too well, when I saw that look I knew that she was there, that she'd always been there. She was now standing right between us. She did look quite scary. You could tell she had died in a very violent way, but I did not feel threatened by her. The first and only time I saw her, I knew she was there to protect me. I watched as he dropped his machete, and he fell to the ground. He looked so horrified as he started scooting backwards, crying like a baby and begging her to leave him alone. Remembering what she told me before, I got up and I ran like heck. When I got up onto the bridge, I turned around and looked back, only to see them both in the same positions him cowering as she just stood there. As I peered over the rail of the bridge, I saw them in the distance. I saw her there for the last time, and I swear I think she turned and gave me a slight nod and smile before completely fading away. At that moment, I could hear a voice in my head telling me that everything was going to be fine now. I ended up moving back into my parents' house, 
I had my son, and I've never seen, felt, or heard her since. A Run-In From Anonymous When I was 21 years old, I still seemed to be close to a lot of my friends from high school. So when I was having a rough day, one of my close friends, who I'll call SQ, came to spend the night. We played video games together to help cheer me up. Things were going pretty well that night. We were laughing, cracking jokes. It was almost 3 a.m. when we started to hear a low-flying helicopter fly above my house. Obviously, we were curious. We stepped outside to see what was going on. As we stepped outside, a police officer drove up my driveway. He informed us that there was a drug lord being hunted. The FBI, SWAT, DEA, and all local forms of police were on the case. He had apparently killed an officer in an undercover sting. They managed to chase him down here to our property. They apparently believed he was hiding down at the lake behind the house. They told us if we saw anything to call them. The officer said he would be leaving then, and we nervously thanked him for the information. Then we watched him drive away. As nervous and unsettled as we were, the two of us were not the kinds of people to go hide inside and lock the doors. We sat outside and watched the search helicopter fly overhead until about 4.30 a.m. That's when SQ and I decided to go to bed. Before I went in, I had to get my work uniform out of my car. I had left it in there that morning once I got off my shift. As I went out to grab my uniform, I heard something running through the tall grass and bushes behind me. I tried not to think much of it. We live in a pretty rural part of Montana, so I thought it was a deer. But then I heard a low but firm, Hey! At that moment, I thought it was just SQ trying to scare me or pull a crappy prank. When I turned around, there was a guy that was almost seven feet tall. He must have been 350 pounds too. He was standing behind me with what looked to be a 9mm handgun. At that moment, I was about ready to soil myself and run. He spoke again. You didn't see anything, boy. Believe me, if you call the cops to tip them off, I'll find you. Understand? All I could do was nod. I dropped my clothes I'd gotten from my car and I ran inside, phoning the police. They caught the man five minutes later, hiding in the bushes between my neighbors and my property. The man's name was Wiley. He got 30 years to life, and even though he's locked away for a long time, I still felt the need to move away. Even though I doubted he would remember me, I didn't want to run the risk. To this day, SQ and I still talk about that and I came to realize I'm the luckiest man alive that that man didn't shoot me. The Break-In From Anonymous This story is told from my father's point of view. This happened over my dad's mini-Mormon mission, he went on, as he was waiting for his visa. This takes place somewhere in Montana during the winter. I had a Mormon mission that lasted a few months while waiting to get my visa to travel to the Philippines. I was pretty much just traveling around the area every day with my one partner, T. 
teaching nearby residents about God and things like that. It was a cold night, snow coming down hard. My partner and I were in bed in our upstairs bedroom. For the sake of the story, I'll call him Jacob. Jacob was asleep in the bed next to mine. He was a deep sleeper, so it was difficult to wake him up. I was about to fall asleep myself when I heard the sound of our back door opening. I froze. No one was supposed to be coming to the house that night. I almost punched myself when I realized that I was the one who forgot to lock the back door. I listened in closely. I heard slow, heavy footsteps walking around. They went to the kitchen, then the living room, then the dining room, and finally to the front room where the stairs were. The footsteps stopped for a moment, then whoever it was began taking very loud steps up the stairs. Our room was around the corner from where the top of the stairs were, so I assumed that we were safe, at least for now. Yet somehow, when the clumps of snow boots reached the top, they turned and headed straight towards our room. My heart pounded faster than I'd ever felt it beat before. Our door was already open, so I knew that once he reached the doorway, he would know for sure where we were. I heard the footsteps slowly walk to the door and stop. I'd already shut my eyes tight. I didn't know if this man had a gun or some other weapon, or maybe it wasn't even human at all, but there was no way I was going to check. I sat there with my eyes closed, my heart pounding for what felt like forever. Suddenly, without any warning, the footsteps darted off as if they were sprinting. Around the corner, down the stairs, through the dining room, kitchen and living room, and out the back door, slamming the door shut behind them. I sprung up and shook my partner awake. I told him a short version of what had just happened. Together we ran downstairs to make sure they were gone. We searched every room, making sure that they had ran out the door. We found no one. The most creepy part about this story, though, is that there were no footprints in the deep snow outside, and it wasn't currently snowing. To this day, I don't know what that thing was, but I'm just happy I don't have to stay in that house anymore. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.